Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Dyer and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, October the 13th. And like the date can suggest, it's been a very frightening week with the attacks on Israel. The death toll is enormous and that includes Americans' lives lost and there are other Americans who are reported missing and fear taken hostage. We are fortunate to have a very strong panel assembled this week to discuss all that is happening this week, not only internationally, nationally, and of course here in Colorado as well. We have Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward, Krista Kafer, columnist with the Denver Post, as well as Jesse Paul, reporter with the Colorado Sun, and Alton Dillard, a community relations specialist with the Dillard Group and former election spokesperson for the city and county in Denver. Thank you all for coming Monday night Thousands of people gathered in Denver, a showing of solidarity for Israel at Temple Emanuel. There were similar events across Colorado. There was also a rally in support of Palestinians last weekend, and that was much smaller, but that received attention because of one of the people who was in attendance, Patty. Well, and there will be more rallies again this weekend and more programs. It's so tragic, and I can't begin to suggest how it will be solved. It's a 75-year-old conflict with no end in sight, but the attacks last Saturday uh, reportedly killed more Israeli Jews than Jews were killed in one day in the Holocaust. Just horrifying. And then the response that we're hearing, the atrocities that continue, it's beyond it's beyond belief but here in Colorado at least there's been some good behavior and there's been some very bad behavior in the legislature people are really interested in figuring out what they can do you have Daphna Michelson Janay who is an Israeli Jew who's a senator now and very reasonable talking about the people she's worried about the people she can't hear about the relatives she has back home we also have one Muslim representative Iman Joda, and she is also talking about the people she is worried about. And these people are able to converse in the legislature, be civilized, talk about the people who are suffering. And then we have newly elected Tim Hernandez, who went to the Palestinian rally, which from all reports seemed to be kind of supportive of the attacks, but he's saying he just was there to learn things. Krista. You know, I, Patty's right. It is a tragic situation that's been going on for decades. It is a complicated situation. Mm -hmm. Two, you know, beautiful groups of people, Palestinians and Israelis, with historic ties to the land. But I tell you what's not complicated. Murder, rape, kidnapping, the killing of infants, the beheading of fellow human beings. That's not complicated. That's evil. There's no gray area there. So no decent human being um, can say, well, I don't know, maybe, you know, I just, I don't, I like, I don't like, you know, bad things in general. No, you call out Hamas and you say that was evil. And you say that the Israeli government is 100% justified in going in and rooting out that evil so that those people will never again kill children, women, and men. And the fact that Tim Hernandez was at that rally. And, I, you know, I, I am sympathetic to both people groups, but here's the deal. That timing of the Palestinian rally completely inappropriate. It would be like after 9-11, after thousands of Americans, innocent Americans were murdered, if we were to have some kind of rally to talk about you know, why the U.S. government was wrong in some of its policies towards the Middle East. You wouldn't do that. The timing is wrong. The timing, the, the time at that time was to grieve the loss of those, of those who, uh, who had died, who had, been, who had been taken hostage, who had been raped to seek justice and to give the, the Israeli government and Israel and Israelis the backing to say, yes, you will go into Gaza and you will, with our support, root out that evil. The fact that Tim Hernandez was there, 
the fact that he has not fully apologized, the fact that he seems sympathetic to Hamas makes it so that it is inappropriate for him to be in the legislature. He is either acting immaturely or he simply lacks the kind of um, uh, understanding of, the, of, of, what, of what actually happened there. And I, I'm not a big fan of the recall law, but it may be time for him to be recalled. He was never elected. He was appointed. Maybe it's time for him to find another job. Yeah, Jesse was appointed, what, maybe a, week, a month ago, five weeks ago, so hasn't even served, shown up for legislative work just yet. Yeah, and I think, you know, folks who know Tim Hernandez know that he's kind of a disruptor. He was expected to be a disruptor in the legislature, um, and so I, I think maybe people expected it to happen once the legislature was actually in session. He hasn't served a, a day in the legislative session, and he's already kind of become the focus. I think the response around this has been interesting to see. Um, you know, it took a little while for the for the House Speaker to make a statement, but on Tuesday she came out uh, with a pretty pretty strong condemnation of Representative Hernandez, which I thought was kind of unusual for her, given that she oftentimes has clashed with the more progressive wing of her party. And, and I think more broadly, when I think about this, you know, there's an influx of activists at the legislature recently, whether they were appointed to seats or elected to seats, and there's been an interesting shift to see some of those folks who have gone from uh, being people who were used to holding people to account to being the people who are now being held to account. And that hasn't always gone so smoothly, and, and I think Representative Hernandez is learning very quickly now that, that he is uh, in that latter group. He's the person who's going to get tough questions from someone like me. He's not just the one asking the questions anymore, and, and uh, we'll see how that transition goes. I think this is going to set things up for an interesting start of the session next year. Alton, last word on this. Yeah, well, um, Sean Colvin, the folk singer, has a song, uh, Sonny Came Home, and the lyric goes, light the sky and hold on tight, the world is burning down. That is where we are right now. And so there's a national divide, there's a political divide that's going on. There are people trying to thread that fine line between being pro-Palestinian without being accused of being pro-Hamas. But you also, in the past couple of days, you've got college students figuring out, oh, that First Amendment thing, eh, it only goes so far when you're talking atrocities. And now you've got college students essentially getting canceled, losing job opportunities, losing internship opportunities because of their ties to you know, various letters that were, you know, frankly, tone deaf. Tone deaf actually does not quite rise to the level of what we're seeing. I totally agree with Krista. Anything short of a blanket condemnation is tacit that you're with it. All right. Thank you all. Tough subject. It's, it's a tough week. The day after, a longtime downtown Denver bar closed because of a reported drop in customers who didn't want to visit the Triangle Bar because of the number of homeless encampments in the area, city officials Helped, held a press conference saying that downtown is only going to be vi vibrant and dynamic again when people come back. And Krista, they talked about another new grant program to entice entrepreneurs to come downtown, hold events, open businesses. How much money would it take for you to move a small, your small business downtown? Um, if you're, say, in along Pearl Street or on Littleton, a beautiful historic Littleton Main Street, I don't think there's enough money in a grant program to lure anyone downtown. Um, just because of the, the crime, the, uh, the taxes, the, the difficulties. Um, when, when, you know, somebody says, hey, you want to go somewhere downtown, um, downtown for the weekend? And I, I'm always like, yeah, downtown Littleton sounds great. Um, or, you know, or Pearl Street or any of these uh, other fun areas where you have small businesses, great restaurants, great little boutique shops. 
Um, I don't think they're going to be able to get people downtown with the grant program. They need to do something about the vagrancy. I think the applications are starting right away. They're desperately trying to get people to come downtown, Jesse. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point there. I kind of wonder where everyone's going, right? Like what communities are benefiting from that increased tax base and maybe some uh, enterprising reporter out there can figure that out, if, if not me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, look, I, I, I wonder, you know, the causation correlation question I think is a really interesting one. Um, you know, I know so many folks who used to have downtown office spaces and now just don't come down because they, they work from home. I used to work at the Denver Post when we were at the Denver Post building. Downtown was super vibrant down then, and I can tell you there were, there were still... Were still you know, safety and, con and security concerns at that time. So I don't know how much of that is playing into it. I think, I think it's, it, there's a debate to be had, and, and I'd like to see some more data on that as well. But, uh, you know, more broadly speaking, I, I'm a statewide uh, reporter. The governor recently said, uh, when, when he was talking about making Colorado safer, that he, he said, quote, these encampments and drug paraphernalia, paraphernalia need to not be a part of Colorado. And he's not a statewide, uh, well, he is a statewide elected official, he doesn't just represent Denver. So I think obviously it's being a, becoming a political problem, one that has uh, risen to the governor's attention just because it is so prominent. So maybe, maybe speaking against my last point, I, it, it's quite a dynamic situation. Mm -hmm. And remember having this uh, chat with Patty because, yeah, we're not going to say that downtown, like they were talking about Union Station, has become a lawless hellhole, but it still has its tricky places. I was downtown at Union Station about a week ago, and as I was being panhandled, one of the panhandlers' voices actually called me a racial slur. But it was only one of his voices, so you know <laughs> we, we understand that there are some mental health issues out there. But... I just, especially with businesses that are already teetering, this thing where we're trying to financially incentivize new business to come down instead of propping up the existing ones and trying to generate some foot traffic. But I said this back even in the discussions that we had leading in to the last mayoral election. People are tired. You can call it compassion fatigue, you can call it whatever, but there comes a time when you cannot keep making excuses about people who are a danger to themselves or others harassing people in public spaces, and the chickens are coming home to roost on that. Patty. Well, there were actually, the grants, and I'm not going to be an apologist for this, but the grants applications start Monday, and it's mostly for events or try to activate the spaces that are already downtown. You can only get up to, say, $25,000. You're not going to move a business downtown for that, but you might have a concert or you might have a slam poetry event on the corner, and people do still come downtown for events. If We're right on Welton Street where you see a lot of great little shops, and we had Viva Streets this summer. People came down to Viva Streets when the street was closed and you could go out. There are lots of parts of Denver, downtown Denver, that are great. Union Station is great. As I said, I go down, downtown every day. There are problem areas, and the Triangle Bar was in the center of one of them, right by the Mercury Cafe, which is the place I feel the worst for. Great legacy, really open, diverse entertainment that they put on. Itchio's there at the end of the month. And they're having significant problems getting people in the door. There's some rumors that maybe the Triangle had seen the end of the line anyway. Gay bars, or the orientation has changed. That bar is 50 years old, although it's been closed off and on through the years. So some people suggest it was just going to close anyway. But there's no question that's a tricky area to come to, to park. There are encampments all over. And we will talk about Johnston is definitely doing sweeps, not just the sweeps for the House 1000, which is the guaranteed housing for people, 
but also sweeps that people are just moving down the road. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you all, do you think we are on track to meet his goal of 1,000 put in under roofs by January 1st? I think there's a lot of parsing of the numbers you have to look at because I think now they're saying there are about 200 people who've been housed. But some of them are only going to be housed, say, for 90 days I mean, you ha or two weeks that they're following. So you have to figure out, will those 1,000 still be under roofs you know, or will it be a rotating group? And you'll have more people back out on the streets again. We've got a, we had a hearing Thursday night for the Golden Triangle, where there are going to be two encampments maybe. We have groundbreaking on South Santa Fe, where there's going to be one of the first pallet homes. So there are people moving places, but 1,000 is going to be tough to make sure they are still in housing, 1,000 total by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also to Patty's point, yeah, we do have to keep an eye on the numbers because, you know, they've got the dashboard out there. And there's some housing, and then there's sort of like the housing adjacent part where it's like, well, if someone's housed for 14 days, then that makes them dashboard eligible. And so I always want to get that disclaimer out there that the Johnson administration is about two and a half months into their first term, and they're making progress because the status quo was not working. But using the example, there was just a violent incident at one of the hotel shelters. And because violence is not condoned in those shelters, whether you're either the perpetrator or the victim, now you've got more people who are being displaced. So like we always talk about, it's a very complex issue. I wonder if there's like a mission accomplished moment for, for Mayor Johnson, right? I mean, I, this is something that we were talking about in our newsroom when he set the 1,000-person goal. What does that mean? You know, how do the numbers shape? How do you count that? You know, do the, do the guidelines change? What does it mean to, to get someone housed? And I think that's going to be something worth paying attention to that I, that I hope someone parses out because it does matter, you know, whether or not you can check that box. And the other interesting thing is people who are swept by the official sweeps, the Johnston endorsed sweeps, they're the ones offered housing. The other sweeps by DOTI, the Department of Transportation, or the police, or the public health, those people aren't offered housing. Mm -hmm. Well, and some of the folks that get housing will end up back on the street, as you said. A, a, a percentage will take advantage of that opportunity, that, that act of mercy to, 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 to adjust, to get stability, to get a job, to get sober. Other people, though, are going to end up back on the street begging, um, you know, doing the things that, that basically got them homeless in the first place. So call me a pessimist. Um, I'm not sure that, I'm not sure it's going to work out so well. Okay. All right. Mayor Johnston is not the only leader dealing with a lot right now. Governor Jared Polis is also on that mission, as Jesse was mentioning, to make Colorado more affordable and safer. Let's start with you, Jesse. You spoke with him a couple of weeks ago in a really great interview, a lot of different topics. He is not giving up on a lot of the things he wants. He's not, but he's also not sharing specifics on how he wants to accomplish those big goals. And I think, you know, that matters a lot, especially when we look at, you know, the housing issue, affordable housing. The governor's land use bill failed last year uh, in a pretty spectacular fashion um, with Democrats unable to get on the same page in the legislature. And, you know, I asked, are you going to bring that bill, bill back? And he said, yes, you know, Coloradans want bigger and bolder ideas. I don't know how going further with that bill is going to get the people who were skeptical of it on board to pass it. So I'm curious, you know, if he breaks it up into different pieces, what changes he makes to try and get Democrats on board, uh, what kind of pressures are put on certain lawmakers to, to get them to vote for the bill. Um, and so I think those details do matter, and, and kind of like we're talking about with uh, Mayor Johnson, right? Setting those goals out, are you going to move the goalposts? What are you going to try and accomplish? How do you reach there? What, what guidelines do you change in order to say you actually did check that box? Mm -hmm. okay. 
Yeah, and the affordability thing is definitely a statewide issue. So I keep thinking that maybe more municipalities and counties need to explore the model that they use in the ski areas and stuff. You got some places that are starting to put in more workforce housing, because just like Denver, no one can afford to work here. I was chatting with Jesse before we went on here, and he Googled my childhood home that my grandmother probably bought for twelve dollars or $14,000. The place is worth eight and a quarter now. And so there's the housing affordability, and then as far as just overall safety, I know there's been you know, headlines about the uh, three-day gun waiting period. One of these days, we're going to get to the point where we quit thinking like people who are not criminals. And so three-day waiting period is someone who's there for the Brady Bill, someone who saw the assault weapons ban. What has it changed? You know, if someone's trying to get their hands on a gun, the way our society is, go find your local 15 or 16-year-old. You don't have to go to a store and deal with a three-day waiting period. So I understand that I think that suit has been resolved, but what's it going to change? So safety and affordability are going to continue to be two front-page issues in our state. Honey. Well, I'll return to the ski areas that Alton was just talking about. I drove up to Glenwood Springs this weekend, and you begin to see the panic for housing and employees. You've got these incredibly wealthy areas, which have incredibly wealthy tourists coming to them. So you've got the short-term rental issue, which is how can they, our second homes, are they going to allow them to be short-term rental? You see new ideas in Summit County, new ideas in Telluride, but there is no housing for the people who need to work in those areas. And every municipality is trying to come up with something new. Then you also have areas where there isn't as great a demand. And they were very upset when that proposal went through the legislature last year because they didn't want the density that could be allowed when they didn't have the issue of a shortage of housing. So you've got to have enough flexibility in whatever is proposed in the legislature. And I think we'd all like to know what it is. You have to have enough flexibility to deal with the very specific issues in each different municipality because all, they're all different. Yeah. I'm glad Alton brought up the gun bill. Um, I, I know we all want safety. There, is, there isn't a legislator an, uh, or a Coloradan or probably even another human being that doesn't want safety for themselves and their communities. But all of those gun bills really affect our uh, law-abiding people. I think about the, the three-day waiting period. If, if um, I need a gun for safety or if I need a gun because I, I want to go hunting, um, I, I will be impacted by that. But somebody who's buying from the black market is not going to be impacted. And somebody with ill intent, somebody who wants to murder another person, um, they're probably pretty happy to wait for the three days. Um, I mean, I, I guess it only just puts off their plans by three days. It doesn't actually stop crime. And so I don't know that ultimately it stands up under the Bruin Supreme Court decision. I think it's kind of a, a wait and see long term. But I, I really do believe that when it comes to stopping crime, we have to go after bad people with bad intent who, who, who have done bad things and making sure that they stay behind bars without unduly impacting law-abiding citizens. Let me ask you, Justin, you talked to the governor about the gun bills. I know you talked about assault weapons, but how does he feel like two of the two of the four or five bills that passed last year regarding gun violence prevention are now tied up with legal cases? I think he's not surprised. I think Democrats expected this given the Bruin case. Uh, when I asked about the assault weapons ban, this is something that we know that he's pretty skeptical about, if not 
all out opposed to. You know, he said, look, we can't even get these these basic measures passed uh, or through the courts, so going further with an assault weapons ban isn't worth it. I'll say, I mean, I think one of the ways to think about these uh, bills and something the Democrats talk about a lot is, you know, simple disruptions in someone's plan, whether or not it's a murder or a suicide uh, attempt, can, can really make a big difference. These aren't meant to just stop people from getting guns altogether, although they do obviously slow it down, and, and I think that's the intent of it, just to kind of interrupt a plan. There will be people who will get around it, Democrats, it, it, you know, talk about that a lot, but at the same time, again, those, those small, if you have to drive an extra uh, 100 miles or you have to wait an extra day, that, that can change things pretty dramatically. Okay. I think it is a little confusing for some people that already there are issues being talked about for the November 2024 election when this November's ballots aren't even out yet. They do head out in the mail on Monday. Alton, just two statewide topics this time around. But then here in Denver, there's also the DPS uh, school board that's up for uh, election this year. So I think people need to make sure they have their eyes open when their mail comes next week. Yes, they do. And the thing, especially, again, with some of the uh, statewide issues, because, of course, HH is getting all the attention, but let's not forget about II, which is the uh, nicotine tax. And so also locally in Denver, in addition to the school board, which is going to, again, shake down union versus reformers, you also are going to have a potential extension of the preschool tax that originally got passed in 2000. 2006. And then there's also things going on, like we've talked about how uh, Mayor Kaufman's attempt to get more power in Aurora failed. Got to see what kind of political fallout that may have. Uh, Boulder is going to be doing ranked choice voting for their mayoral election. And so there are going to be a lot of eyes on this. So to back to your point, because of the thing like the uh, initiative like Michael Fields and his crew are running, which is up for the following year. But of course, it gets pulled into the headlines a little bit. And so there are going to be people who are going to be looking for that on this ballot, not understanding that this is a coordinated election that's going to be taking place. And that, you know, also another question we get, remember Denver's municipal elections, because it's a home rule city and county, are off cycle. So our mayor, city council, et cetera, they got elected, you know, back in either May or when the runoff was. Actually, it was April or when mm -hmm. the runoff was. And so that's the thing that's going to be, I think, the most interesting to me is if people are going to return ballots that may have two or three items on them. Yeah. All elections are important, so you need to vote and return them. You need to educate yourself, especially on the complicated things like HH. Sounds like you still have your <laughs> speak from when you were at the city election office. Okay, Patty. Well, and of course, Denver wasn't the only town with an election in April. We have Colorado Springs, right. which has who has a new mayor. And you have what? I think it's 13 other municipalities that will now be electing mayors in November, including the Aurora race, which is going to be fascinating to see what happens with Kaufman going up for his new term. But the ballots go out next week. People need to remember it's easy. You can just mail them in. But let's also remember the election workers. We've seen how many election workers have turned over because of how bad things have been for them since 2020, since the deniers came in. And we have, to, we have to salute the people who are making sure we can still have safe, convenient elections. The very least we can do is remember to vote. Yes, I'm with you. So the only thing I dislike more than the, uh, the, the tax increase in Proposition HHS, HH is that I, 
I can't stand the initiative process in general. Um, on, on one hand, we have representative government where we uh, elect people. We have all these processes for vetting things, for um, looking at, at, at ideas and looking at costs and benefits. And then we have this separate system in which we bypass all of that and just throw it out to the voters, throw out some emotional appeals and see what happens. And there's going to be something on probably the 2024 ballot initiative that is, is a great example of bad lawmaking. And that is a group has come forward and saying we should stop hunting cougars and, um, and, and, and bobcats. And I, I don't, I'm not a hunter of, of cougars or bobcats, but the people that, that manage our wildlife, the parks and, uh, and wildlife uh, agency, they, they do a really good job at, at making sure that there is balance in the ecosystem. And if hunters, and hunters pay money to hunt, um, if hunters aren't doing this, then the agency will have to basically contract with people to, to go in and cull the number of mountain lions and, and bobcats. So it's a greater expense to, to the taxpayer, but I think it's just emblematic of the fact that we're going to uh, ignore the advice of experts with biology degrees and, and collectively hundreds, year, hundreds of years of experience on, on parks and wildlife, we're gonna just ignore all of that. And we're gonna just throw it over to the voters and send out some cute little flyers with kittens on them and see how they vote. Um, if not only should, I, should both Prop HH and that Cougar initiative, not only should they go down in flames, I think it's time to get rid of the initiative process altogether. And the Cougar Bobcat, that's on next year's ballot. Yes, it is. That's, or will be. Jesse. Maybe, maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe. maybe. <laughs> well. As long as tapers are out, I don't think we can get rid of the initiative process, right? Because everyone's going to have to vote on tax increases. And, and that's kind of where Proposition HH comes in. Not a tax increase. You can argue that it is. It's not raising rates. It's actually lowering them. But it's the most complicated ballot measure I've ever written about uh, in my years covering Colorado politics. It took, us, took me two weeks to unpack it for a ballot explainer that we just put out uh, this week trying to help people understand what's going on there. And, and I think... Um, you know, focusing on Prop HH, this is going to affect every single Colorado, and whether you own a home or not, and people really need to pay attention to this, do the reading, do the research to kind of dig into it. Uh, being an off-year election, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what the outcome is here, and also what happens if it fails, which I think is a real possibility, and how the legislature responds, uh, whether the governor calls a special session to try and tackle property taxes. Obviously, we talked about Initiative 50 on the 24 ballot, which would be a 4% cap on uh, property tax increases year over year in Colorado. That one could have some really big eff effects on uh, Colorado taxpayers as well as local districts. So uh, the way that all these things interact, the economic uh, factors at play, really important. I hope voters take the, the time to understand Proposition HH. And where can people find what you, your breakdown of it on Colorado Sun? Yeah, coloradosun.com. Okay, that'd be a good thing to check out. Now let's have the panel discuss some of the highs and lows of the week. Patty, we'll start with you with something negative. Well, I would debate Krista on the initiative process, which I like. You could put reins on it, but I still think it's important. But I'm going to instead go to Washington, D.C., where you would think the congressional Republicans have bigger fish to fry than worrying about an investigation of the handling of Biden's dog. <laughs> 
I didn't know that they were investigating that. <laughs> oh, yes. Work the dog place. is gone. The dog's not in the White House. Right, but people suffered in the meantime. I know, yeah. Okay. We need a commission, clearly. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm going to go after the ads I've seen for Proposition HH in that they're like, yay, we're going to cut your, your property taxes, but they never mention they're going to get rid of our Tabor refunds. And I did the math, and I will lose far more in my Tabor refunds than I will gain in any kind of, you know, tiny uh, property tax relief. So maybe they ought to be a little more honest. Okay. I got to stick with Proposition HH. The, the claims on both sides, I think, are, are wildly misleading, if not flat out uh, untrue, a lot of hyperbole. We're going to start unpacking some of those. So again, come back to ColoradoSun.com. We'll, we'll help you understand the ballot initiative. Will do. All right. Now I'm going to yield some of my time off of my positive, because this <laughs> negative, of course, is going to be DPS. In Texas, there is a kid being placed into an alternative high school because of how he wears his hair. But in the Denver Public Schools, we're not going to do that for kids facing weapon charges or facing attempted murder charges. And so, of course, there was a circulation of a draft report that from a few months ago. And so now our superintendent, who continues to say, oh, there's only a couple of schools that are concerned about safety. Everyone's concerned about safety. Our schools are turning into the Thunderdome. And principals are scared to speak out. They don't want to get dentist, if you know what I mean, that is a verb. Something has got to change with either the governance structure or like we talked about with the election, maybe getting some school board members in place who understand that the superintendent reports to them, not vice versa. Okay. All right, something positive, please. Uh, two fast happy anniversaries, one to the 40th anniversary of the Rocky Flats encirclement when people went to protest nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. And I have to say happy birthday to my mother, 95. Yay. Oh, that's great. Happy birthday. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said her age. Sorry, Mom. No, <laughs> that's great. I, I want to give a hats off to all immigrants who have come to, uh, come to Colorado, particularly the Denver area, and opened small businesses and restaurants, some awesome Thai food last night. And I just, uh, you know, keep coming. Keep okay. doing the wonderful things for our city. Okay. Yeah. Happy birthday to Patty's mom. I'm excited for Halloween. We get several hundred kids in my house every year down in, in Platt Park. So I'm pretty excited about that. Please come to my house. Uh, eat all our candy. We're excited to uh, have you. Full-size candy bars? No, I'm no. not that. I'm not that <laughs> All right. And mine is a shout out just to friendly mountain people. I was in Steamboat Springs. I borrowed a friend's car. I'm used to push button ignition. And I killed their battery. And the next door neighbor came over with a little charging pack and jumped me so I was able to still make my flight. So shout out to the mountain folks. Oh, that's good. All right, very good. And my pause of this week is all of the questions that we are receiving. Uh, thank you as we prepare for our interview with Denver Mayor Mike Johnson as he approaches his 100th day in office next week. Please continue to share with us and please submit your questions that you might have to pbs12.org uh, slash viewer questions. And maybe we'll ask one of your questions next week on our October 20th show. Um, thank you for watching this show. Thank you for joining this show. I know it was a lot to uncover, so thank you. And it's important for us all to be listening. Speaking of listening, we have a podcast on Spotify. You can check us out there every week as well. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Take good care. I am Kyle Dyer. I will see you next week here on PBS 12.